All right, let's go John chapter 10. I, I don't think I'd ever heard that, that last song before, and uh, I certainly never sung it before, uh, but, and it was kind of hard to sing, but here's the thing. It's just dripping with, just, with good theology. Did you catch that? You saved me, you saved me. It's not that I saved myself. You saved me, you saved me, and you've overwhelmed my heart. At the end of the day, submission to King Jesus doesn't, doesn't happen out of coercion or because this is this forced thing that he, he will make your knee bow. It's because you have fallen in love with this king. And so he has overwhelmed our hearts. And uh, so I, I appreciate JB for picking songs like that and teaching us good theology as we sing about the good things that God is and does. So let's get the lights up real quick. Um, John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be up on the screen behind me. If you don't own a Bible, man, I'd love to help you fix that. Don't have access to one outside of this room. Uh, let's, let's try to change that. Uh, we value God's word here. We think it has the ability to uh, convict of sin and call people to repentance and breathe life into the weary soul. And, uh, and here's the thing. My words can't do that. Whether you think I'm a good preacher or a terrible one, it doesn't matter. My words will fade away, but God's words are eternal. And so one of the things we value here above everything else is God's word, and we want to get it in front of your eyes as much as possible. So if you don't have access to a Bible outside of this place, come see me after class. We'll fix that. All right, John chapter 10. Last week we started a little mini-series, a little two-week series about New Year's resolutions, right? And uh, what we said was that uh, no one kind of sits on the fence about resolutions. You either love them and do them, or you hate them, all right? Uh, and so here's the thing. There's all these things in the Bible that we, tr- that we really wish the Bible was, was real cut and dry on, would speak to directly, uh, and it just doesn't, all right? And New Year's resolutions are one of those things. You can't go to the Bible and see a command from God to either do resolutions or stay away from resolutions. The Bible would be uh, in, in this category of otherworldly considering resolutions. It's neither pro-resolution nor anti-resolution, it's otherworldly. And so instead of saying yes or no, left or right, up or down, it says think differently. That's what we mean by otherworldly. And so what we said last week, we deconstructed everything. I gave you two reasons why you should totally stop making New Year's resolutions. Do you all remember what they were? Can't fix yourself, and they're ultimately too small. We looked at two passages of Scripture. We looked at Revelation 5. It's this picture that the Apostle John is given of a kingdom to come in heaven. We called it a bottleneck in human history. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue are gathered around the throne of King Jesus, all right? And they are celebrating King Jesus as the lamb who is standing as though slain. It's this victorious picture that even though he was slaughtered, even though he was murdered, he is victorious over death. And he's the guy who gets to break the seals that nobody else gets to break, and everything moves forward from that point. And it's great and wonderful and awesome. And what we said last week was that everything in human history and everything in my life and yours either is fuel for the glory of Jesus in that moment or is kind of awkwardly out of place. So you go ahead and chase after that that smaller waistline. Maybe there's bigger things on the table. Right? Yeah, what we said last week is that maybe one of the reasons that we, we fail so terribly at things like New Year's resolutions Maybe one of the reasons why it feels like we're always spinning our wheels over that kind of stuff is we're chasing after things that don't ultimately last and are ultimately about ourselves instead of 
he who is eternal. Yeah. So what we said last week is that your biggest hopes and dreams in this world may be too small. If you chase after things that don't fade away, maybe they've been promised success. But I gave you two reasons. The first one was that you're chasing after things that are too small. The second one is that you can't fix yourself. We looked at the story of Nicodemus in John 3. Do you all remember that story? Nicodemus is literally on the top of the pile when it comes to standing right before God when, as far as what a man can do. He's got me beat, he's got you beat by a long shot. All right? He is literally on the top of the pile. He's the guy who has the best theology in his area. He's the guy who's got the best moral life. He's running the successful business honestly. He is the guy that everybody looks to and expects to do it right when everybody else is phoning it in. Jesus looks at this guy in the eye and says, hey, you don't have have enough in fact if unless you're born again unless you get a major reset in your life you will never see the kingdom of god is what he says and so if nicodemus doesn't make it i'm in trouble so are you right so what we said last week is that you should stop making new year's resolutions because at the end of the day you can't dig yourself out of the hole you got yourself into That's like a textbook definition of insanity. I'm just going to dig a little deeper, see if it works this time. Now, one day, you and I, like Nicodemus, will stand in front of a holy and righteous judge, and we will be found wanting, insufficient. Oh, how good is our God that he would let us know beforehand. So now that we've deconstructed everything, Made the whole room feel somber and sad. (laughs) Let's put it all back together. Ready for week two? I'm going to tell you this week why you should totally make New Year's resolutions. Wait, 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 wait. how can, isn't that duplicitous? How, How do we do that? Think of, let's keep what we talked about last week in the back of our head. And so if you weren't here, take the summary that I just gave you. If you were here, remember what we talked about. You can't fix you. All right? And your plans are ultimately too small. We're going to keep those in the back of our mind like ruts on a road, and we're going to try, to try our best to stay out of those two ruts, okay? And if we can stay out of those two ruts as we pursue things like New Year's resolutions, maybe we can get somewhere really great. Sound good? You ever been driving on a dirt road? I know this is Nashua. All right? You ever been driving on a dirt road and fallen into a rut? It's hard to get out of the rut, right? So it's better to stay out of the rut in the first place. We're going to try to stay out of the ruts this morning. So here's what we're going to do. Two reasons why you should totally make New Year's resolutions, and if you don't, you're a loser. All right? Number one, because Jesus came to give his people more and more and more and more of himself. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to a group of Pharisees. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind. This story is still continuing. He's still talking to this group of people. So the Pharisees weren't happy with Jesus, and uh, he's not done talking to them. Doesn't go well for the Pharisees. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, 
That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, so there's all kinds of, uh, there's this big discourse that's going on throughout the first half of uh, John chapter 10, and it's all got this sheep-shepherd theme to it, right? And Jesus calls himself a shepherd in this moment, and that he says that his sheep know his voice, and they don't trust the voice of people that don't have his voice, and there's the, he contrasts himself between the person who comes through, as the person who comes through the gate, the right way, the honorable way, and then those who try to crawl over the side, obviously, to hurt the sheep, right? And so people who are crawling over the side of the sheepfold are, are the bad guys, and they, they're trying to hurt the sheep. But then he switches gears in verse 7. Look at it real quick. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's a different picture. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but, this sheep, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So did you catch the switch there? He goes from talking, uh, describing himself, calling himself a shepherd, and then for a couple of verses, he calls himself the door of the sheepfold. And then goes back to calling himself the shepherd. In fact, he calls himself the good shepherd that time. What in the world is the door of a sheepfold? Allow the Texas boy to tell you. So a sheep vault, it's, it's a sheep pen, right? It's the place where you put the sheep. When? At night. So the sheep are running around in open pasture. Yeah, there's a shepherd there and there's protection there, but they kind of have free reign of the big grassy field or wherever they can find nourishment. And, but then at night, they put all the sheep up in a sheepfold. And it's got this, it's this big pen with big high walls. And sometimes you were lucky enough to have kind of this olive leaf roof on it to shade things and to keep out some of the cold. And, but it's, it's not really this big structure. It's basically just a big sheep pen. And that, there was one entrance into the sheepfold, the door. And there would be one shepherd in charge of laying down in front of that door to act as the door. So you had other shepherds that they were kind of in and out and they did their job. They clocked in, they clocked out, they went home. But then you had one shepherd whose responsibility was to guard the sheep and protect the sheep all night and to keep things in that were supposed to be in and to keep things out that were supposed to be out, right? Jesus says there's one way in to my sheep. You have to come through me to get to him. Let's, that sounds good, right? But let's keep that in mind when we read verse 10 again. The thief, who's he talking about? 
Yeah. The Greek there is a, is a title. It's not just a thief or any thief or a, some type of thief, people who would be in the category of, of thief. It's the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so that's a straightforward reading, right? Jesus protects the sheep from the bad guys. Woo! Satan wants to harm. Satan wants to hurt. Satan and those like him are looking to rob and undermine and do all these things. And Jesus is the good guy protecting the sheep. It's a straightforward reading of John 10.10. 10. Except for one pesky little word. Did you catch it? The word abundant. That doesn't fit into a straightforward reading of Satan wants to harm and Jesus wants to protect. It's deeper than that, right? I've come so that it may have life and have it what? Abundantly. The Greek word there for abundantly is the word perisos. Everybody say perisos. Per-e-sos. Parasos. Yeah, so you're all Greek scholars now, right? All right. It means over the top. Undescribable joy. Jesus doesn't just protect you. He gives you joy. There's a there's a difference there, right? There's a, there's a difference there. On the, I can hold up the scriptures and I can say with absolute certainty that God wants to give you your best life now. Some of you are looking at me sideways. Because that sounds very familiar to something somebody who doesn't appear to love Jesus once said and is selling lots of books for. Bad theology never comes out of left field. It's always taken as a kernel of truth that's been twisted into something bad. Jesus absolutely wants to give you your best life now. The question is, what does that life look like? What is the most valuable thing an infinite God can give you? Himself. Not riches or health or wealth or any of those things. It's himself. To give you anything other than himself is to give you something less than his best. It means he's giving you substandard gifts. Oh, hear me, Christian. He loves you more than that. He will not settle for petty little temporary things. No, he's going to give you himself. The life that Jesus wants to give you is full of him dripping with him. The goodness that we see in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2 is, is the thing that we most value in Genesis 1 and 2, the fact that there's no sin in the world and that there's perfection and things always work the way that they're supposed to, that's, that's nice. What's the greatest thing about Genesis 1 and 2? They walk with him and they talk with him, right? The goodness that we long for and hope to see one day, maybe even as soon as possible in heaven, as great as all of his stuff is, what makes heaven so great? It's, it's where he's at, right? Jesus wants to give you over-the-top, abundant 
life, and that doesn't consist in material things, that consists in his presence. So how do New Year's resolutions play into all that? Because concerted efforts get you more of him. Right? Little disciplinary moments. Little tweaks in your lifestyle, in your heart, in your daily routine. Can you use those to get you more of him? Yeah, you can. Because a lifetime of walking deeply with Jesus does not flow from a single salvation moment. It starts there. But there are 10,000 daily decisions where you show that submission to his lordship and show that trust that he is good, that he is better than all other things that you could possibly chase after. And each one of those decisions either pushes him away or pulls him close. Right? You, You can't earn your way to him. But once you have him, You can stiff-arm him, or you can embrace him, right? There's there's a difference there. Little disciplinary moments throughout your day that can help you make better decisions for him. Let me give you an example. Reading your Bible. (laughs) That sounds like a pretty obvious one. But I thought reading your Bible was all about loving God. and shouldn't, That sounds cold and heartless to discipline your life to read your Bible. Yeah, you should do it because you love God. But when, if you're not there yet, how do you start? You discipline yourself. You press in. You dig those fingernails in. You set up a routine so that you can experience in a very real way that you tasted the Lord and saw that he was good. You dig in. You do what you can with what you have while you have... I've got a three-year-old right now who says really funny things that aren't so funny. Um, Some of you know where I'm going with this. More times than I can count, we have been sitting at a dinner table and my three-year-old would say, I don't like that. You've never tried that before. You don't know what you're talking about. In fact, I know you well. You will adore that. You should hush. (laughs) I don't like that. You're about to get a spanking. (laughs) It's cute when she's three. It's less cute if I were doing it. (laughs) Right? And it's really not as cute when she's doing it. At least for mom and dad. Y'all would think it's adorable. Mom and dad are frustrated. (laughs) We dig in, we press, we create patterns, we discipline our hearts and our lives so that as that becomes a habit, it gets a little easier and easier and we fall deeper and deeper in love with it. Give you another example, your diet. I thought you said last week that diets were only ever about you. A lot of times they are. They very much can be. It's easy to fall into that rut. But if, like me, you figure out every once in a while that you chase after comfort 
and security and satisfaction in those foods instead of finding those things in Him? Would disciplining your heart and your actions and your diet be something that gets you more of Him? Yeah. At the end of the day, Jesus wants to give you rich, over-the-top, abundant life. And if that life is found in deeper and deeper relationship with him, then little disciplinary moments can absolutely affect that, can't they? We said last week that you've got to stay out of the ruts, but if you stay out of the ruts, this is beneficial. So pursue Chase after him any way you can. Get to work, not to earn good standing with God, but because you have been brought into his presence, show you want as much of him as possible by digging in your heels. Get busy and get to work. But if you're not revved up enough now, I told you I'd give you two reasons. Ready? Two reasons. The first is that Jesus wants to give you more of himself. The second... Is because your life is supposed to preach the gospel to everyone around you. Philippians chapter 1. Turn there with me. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is in prison in Rome when he's writing this letter. He's under house arrest. It's what we believe his first of two imprisonments in Rome. Um, this one was less severe than the second one. During the second one, he's executed. This time, he's going to get out of prison. It's kind of more of a house arrest, so don't think dungeon, but he's, he still can't go anywhere. He's got a guard stationed at the door. He can receive people. He can send letters in and out, all those kinds of things. And so he is in Rome under house arrest, imprisoned, so a prisoner as he's writing this, and where am I going to start? I'm going to start in verse 12. Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether, by, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always Christ, will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul's a prisoner in Rome when he writes this letter and he says, hey, I'm kind of excited about the way things have turned out here. Like if I said that, you would think I'm insane, right? And he says, you know what? No matter what happens to me, I'm all right. Again, if I were to say that, insane. The threat of execution is looming over his head here. Now, he doesn't think that God's done with him, so he thinks that he's going to get out of jail, all right? But the threat is there. He could die. And so he says, meh. <laughs> they kill me, they get to go be with Jesus. That's pretty awesome. They let me go. I get to do more, more work strengthening churches for the cause of his kingdom and his gospel. That's probably good too. Paul's unflappable. And hear me, Nashville Baptist Church. Everybody is watching him. Paul had a lot of influence outside of prison, right? He spoke powerfully, drew, uh, planted churches, left pastors and trained them, and then went to other places. Paul is the reason the gospel ends up in Europe. Paul had all kinds of influence outside the pen, all right? But when he walked with consistency inside, when he continued to praise God, continued to serve others, continued to walk in humility, even as he's jailed, it was impossible to ignore so much so that he says all of his prison guards are getting converted. <laughs> and that even his opponents outside are preaching the gospel in an attempt to mock him somehow, and people are coming to meet Jesus. So even as people are trying to undermine Paul, it's showing the success of what God's doing through Paul. And every bit of that is fueled by a heart that praises him in the storm, right? Every bit of that, overarching all of this is the reality that prisoner Paul seems to be affecting as much or more for the kingdom than he was as a free man. He's being driven by a faithful, humble walking with God while he's in prison. Let's look at verse 27. Paul's going to transition from telling his story to giving a command to the Philippian church here. It says, Only let your manner of life be what? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, that doesn't sound like grace. Paul wrote a lot of things that don't sound like grace. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul tells the church in Philippi, and therefore us as well, let your manner of life be found worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That when people look at you from afar, and maybe they don't know your whole story, Maybe they don't know the ups and downs in your day. Maybe they only gave you a glance. That when people come across you and see you, are they seeing a clear picture of Jesus? Are they seeing a clear picture of what Jesus and his kingdom value and chase after and prioritize in this world and in a world to come? Well, that doesn't sound like grace. Grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Those are different things. You can't earn closeness with Jesus. But he does give you tools to chase after him. And he does give you tools to line your life up to look more and more like him. And to sit on the sidelines as if those things were out of bounds for the Christian misses grand opportunities to paint a clear picture of who he is. So how do New Year's resolutions play into all that? Concerted efforts paint a better picture. It's just true. Your 10,000 daily decisions are put on display for everybody around you. And those decisions are either painting an accurate picture of who God is and what he calls us to value and chase after, or sadly, something less than that. See, the reverse is also true. Have you noticed that people are watching you? Not in the crazy conspiracy theory tinfoil hat kind of way. I mean the way that everybody seems to be waiting for everybody else to fail. Have you realized that that's the world that we now live in? Everybody's hypocrisy radars are always set to high, right? They're just waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting for the leader to, to mess up, and then they're going to roast them, Right? If you don't know, you've never been on Twitter. Don't get on Twitter. Oh, we better be striving to paint an accurate picture. Will we be successful, perfect this side of heaven? Absolutely not. That's what God's grace is for. We will fail at this time after time after time. I promise you. That is why Jesus went to the cross. But if I discipline my heart and my life and my actions and you discipline your heart and your life and your actions, we start getting a little bit better at this and we paint a clearer picture day by day by day by day by day. And eventually this gets a little bit easier for us. And even though we may never get all the way to the finish line this side of heaven, we'll get a lot closer. And this Jesus that we claim to love will be better represented here for those who don't know him yet. 
Is that valuable for us? Yes and amen. Is that what we're chasing after here? Yeah. Do we want desperately for those who see us and hear us and know us to get a clear picture of Jesus in us? Man, I hope you do. Just going to be honest. If you don't, we've got some other things to talk about. So what do we do with texts like this? What, how do we respond to this, right? If you're here today and you're a Christian, then what's most valuable for you this morning is to ask tough questions of your heart and life. Like t- start taking stock of things. Really weigh things. Are, are there things in your life that could be maybe radically shifted or maybe even minor, just minor tweaks, right? That could get you more of Jesus. And once you figure out what those things are, man, sit down this afternoon and make some resolutions. Make a plan. Don't be vague. Like, make them measurable and attainable and figure out how you can move step by step through them. You want, you want some help? There's stuff out in the back. We, we put it out there last week. Many of you already picked it up. We got Bible reading plans out there. It, that's, that's an easy one, man. There's thousands of those things. You can Google them, all right? Uh, some of them are not so great. Most of them are pretty solid. Right, we got two options out there for you. You got a regular one that goes Genesis to Revelation. We got a, uh, it's called a chronological one that goes in the order that they were written, about the time that they were written. And so it starts in Job instead of Genesis because Job was the first book of the Bible written, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. They're options. They're tools on the table. You want to read some extra biblical books with me? I'm going to read 30 to 40, maybe 50 books this year. I picked one a month. They're on a piece of paper in the back. Pick up a copy and join me. We can talk about it together. I'll meet you for coffee and we can discuss the book club thing. I don't want to be in a book club. I shouldn't have said that. I feel like Oprah now. All right. For those of you who know Jesus, Jesus has saved you, called you out, drawn you near to himself for the purpose of giving you more and more and more of himself. We are not waiting in the pits for the green flag of heaven. The race is already running. Put your foot on the gas and let's go. Get you as much of him as you can until you get to be with him. And use whatever God-honoring tool is at your disposal to do it. If you're in here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've submitted to his lordship, take stock of your life. Ask difficult questions, like actual difficult questions. Don't let yourself off the hook here because it means that you're phoning this in as if, nah, I'd rather just not have that much of Jesus. <laughs> Go get him. Go get him. Let us help you get him. There's other tools that we can talk about. Great. If you're in here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, You haven't called him valuable and submitted yourself to his lordship in every shape and form. Then what you need to hear today is this. Your first step is not more effort. Those 10,000 daily decisions to follow Jesus deeply start at a single moment. A single moment of submission. Some of you, 
probably already failed in some of these New Year's resolutions. If, you're, if it's up to your own effort, you're going to continue to fail. You can't fix yourself. But there is something you can do. Paul in Romans 10 says, in order for Jesus to save you, you believe that he's who he says he is and submit to him as Lord. And today, you can make that step. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. and it's, It's all of our opportunity to respond, whether you know Jesus in this room or you don't know him yet. It's our opportunity to respond in whatever God is calling us to. Maybe it's submission for the very first time. Maybe it's deeper submission in minor little things that need to be tweaked. I don't know your heart, but you do and God does, and y'all can handle that together. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and I'm going to be down here if you need to talk, and let's chase after Jesus together. And if I can help you, let me know, because I'm interested. Father God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for seasons in our life and in our world that give us opportunity to experience new life and growth and renewal and all these kinds of things and you've built into our calendar this time of year. Not so that we would spend it on ourselves, but so that we would use it as an opportunity to dive deeper into relationship with you, God. God, you have saved us by grace and grace alone, but you have also given us tools to chase after depth with you. Oh, let us not in the name of grace leave those tools on the table. Reveal in our hearts, reveal in our lives the things that don't line up with what you've called us to. We probably have already been thinking about most of those things for the last few weeks. It's not going to be a a long exercise today to, to come up with that list. We know what they are. But you have come to give us rich, over the top, Paris sauce, abundant life. That life is found in you, and I want more of you now. I want as much of you as I can get today. And if it means I get more tomorrow, then I'm in. And more the next day, then I'm in for that. Give me wisdom. Draw my heart close to you. God, for those in here who need to submit to you for the very first time, would you give them courage to do so today? Convict of sin. Draw people to repentance. Open up their hearts to know you this morning. So in your name we pray.